She's a business mogul. Number one. And wellness expert. How can I help? And now Chantel Ray and her amazing guests are here to guide you on your wellness journey. Time to level up. Welcome to the Waste Away Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode and we have Anthony J with us and today we're talking about how fasting comes from our ancestors and how we can take fasting to the next level. We're going to be talking about what the heck should I eat and why is everyone's hormones out of control because of all the endocrine disruptors. So AJ or Anthony J, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, let's first start by talking about fasting um, and how fasting comes from our ancestors. One of the things right before the call is you told me you haven't eaten breakfast since you were five years old. So talk about that and what made you start fasting and how you just kept that going. Yeah. When I was five, I stopped because I stopped eating breakfast because I, I was very gluten sensitive. I always have been. I didn't know what that was. My parents didn't know what that was. And they always had bread and, and like toast and cereal. And that was all the options. And it hurt my stomach, so I just stopped eating breakfast. And of course, I was still eating nonsense for lunch and dinner, and, and I had a lot of health issues growing up, and in, even in my 20s. And then, you know, I carried on the intermittent fasting even after I learned how to eat healthy and to get rid of my acid reflux and all the problems that I had. I used to have heart palpitations, all kinds of different health problems. And by the way, I don't have acid reflux anymore. I don't have any of that stuff anymore, but... Um, but I'm definitely a big fan of intermittent fasting because now I do genetic consulting. You know, I, I got a PhD from Boston University Medical School, and I even worked at Mayo Clinic for three years looking at genetics. And now I'm independent, but I still look at people's DNA. I use the 23andMe data, the Ancestry data. And one of the really common patterns that you find when you're looking at genetics is people have very diverse genetics, right? There's a lot of differences. Like some people can do gluten. Some people can't do gluten. Some people can do dairy. Some people can't do dairy, whatever. There's a lot of differences, but one of the really common themes in people's genetics is intermittent fasting. In fact, there's a gene called adiponectin and adiponectin is a fat burning hormone. And a lot of people make less adiponectin. They make less fat burning hormone. Nobody wants to make less fat burning hormone, right? But if you skip breakfast or you intermittent fast, you increase production of adiponectin. You increase the fat burning hormone. So it's very good for your body to burn fats for energy. It helps keep your body weight lower. It's better meta metabolic energy, right? Because if your body's burning sugar for energy, it's real dirty energy. It's like a diesel truck, you know, that black smoke coming out the back. If your body's burning fats for energy, that's like a Tesla, super clean energy. When you intermittent fast, you improve that Tesla fat burning, you improve your fat burning hormone. And again, I see this in people's genes. I do this every day. I talk to lots of people every single day. I look at their actual DNA and loads of people, most people, I would say 99% plus of people have intermittent fasting genes. There's other examples in the thyroid we could talk about, adiponectin I already mentioned. There's brain examples with autophagy. So we could get into all kinds of detail. Depends how far you want to go. But again, that's one of the themes that actually unites most people. And it's because ultimately our ancestors intermittent fasted for thousands of years. So they weren't eating three meals a day or four meals a day or five meals a day and snacking all the time. They just didn't have that kind of access to food. So 
you know, they intermittent fasted, we should too. It matches our genetics. Well, it's funny because I read something one time that said that not only what you feel the best, but that your genetics might play a role in determining the foods that you think are delicious or you find disgusting. So I'll give you an example. I I don't like to tell people this, but I'm, I'm actually born in Iran and my dad's Iranian and my mom's American. And I don't like to tell people that because everyone, I'm like, I'm a Christian. I'm not a terrorist. And, you know, I'm sure. not or that. So I feel like I always have to explain. And so I don't like to tell people, but like there's certain foods that I love from Iran or Mediterranean that I just, I love them. And so do you think that that's true that your DNA does play a role in determining like what you find delicious or disgusting? Oh yeah, for sure. In fact, a lot of people, they kind of confuse that signaling or they can pervert that signaling by eating Doritos and foods that have so many chemicals and so much, you know, like so many opioid peptides and things that act like heroin in your body. They're not heroin, but they act like heroin. They're a little bit like heroin. They're real addictive. And you can confuse those signaling pathways if you're eating nonsense. Like I said, processed foods, tons of chemicals, foods that are designed by food scientists to intentionally be addictive, right? But if you get rid of all that, and you actually pay attention to your body, yeah, it's very uh, it's very telling. You know, it does communicate what you should be eating. People are intuitive. And, and the same is true of a lot of these estrogen chemicals too, by the way. Like a lot of people know that they're sensitive to some of these estrogen chemicals that we're going to talk about later, and we'll circle back to that. Yeah, so one of the things I want to tell you is that my I was on a plane one time, and this lady literally was wearing so much I, I think I was in seat one we had upgraded and the lady had so much perfume that was sitting like a cup right near me and I made the the flight attendant move me because I literally she was wearing so much perfume that I could not sit near her I was getting a headache I was feeling nauseous like I was no way I was going to take that plane ride the whole way with her perfume so let's talk about you know, and one of the other things that drive me nuts is, you know, all these different health places. I went to a stretch lab and I went to a gym and all of them had all these plugins, you know, those blade plugins, mm -hmm. all the, you know, endocrine disrupting type things. Mm -hmm. And I literally pulled them all out. Like I told the lady, I said, I'm happy to get stretched. But every one of these Glade plugins have to be removed or I can't stay. Same thing in a massage place. I literally will remove them. And if they don't want to remove them, then I'm going to leave. That's how sensitive I am to them. I can't be around it at all. So where does that come from? Yeah. So first of all, thousands of years of our ancestors, you know, they didn't have petroleum-based artificial fragrance chemicals. They had natural essential oils and things like that, like natural plant compounds that had fragrance, whatever, but they didn't have these synthetic fragrances that a lot of companies have created from petroleum. Again, it's really cheap, so the companies like to use these if they have a choice between natural and a synthetic. They usually go synthetic because it's cheaper. And the problem with that, you know, you've heard of BPA, of course, right? Like B, a lot of people know BPA is bad, but they don't realize it's bad because it acts like estrogen in your body. It confuses your hormones. And the hormones are a very delicate balance. 
but it's not just BPA. You know, like if you make BPA illegal, they they use a chemical called BPS, bisphenol S, and they just play this shell game where they say, oh, it's BPA free, but they still have these chemicals in that are that are bad for your hormones. And the fragrances, they do the same shell game and they have very similar compounds. Those just like BPA, they have a compound called phthalates and it's spelled very strange, P-H-T-H-A-L-A-T-E-S, phthalates. It's found in plastics. It's also found in fragrances. So if you're drinking liquids out of plastics, you're getting a little bit of it. If you're breathing it into your lungs, you're getting a little bit. I mean, remember people with asthma, you know, you can do these inhalers and lungs are a good delivery for drugs. When you breathe things in, it delivers it into your body. And so you don't want to be breathing in chemicals that alter your hormones, especially, you know, if you're more sensitive to that. And, and it sounds like you are because everybody's genes are different. Some people, they have amazing genes in relation to their hormones and they're very robust and they can handle a bunch of different artificial chemicals and you know again it's not great for them it's still artificial their ancestors still weren't exposed to those chemicals but for somebody like you it's even more problematic because you're more sensitive but then it, it extends even further because there's chemical chemicals like atrazine that they're spraying on crops it's a herbicide it's the second most used herbicide in north america after glyphosate and that also messes with your hormones. You see, so there's a bunch of different chemicals that all act in the same way and it compounds. It gets worse and worse as you add more of these into your body. And our culture, there's so many of these chemicals around. I finally wrote a book on it when I was doing research. Um, a lot of years ago, actually, I, I started researching hormones and sex hormones in particular. And I realized like, oh man, there's a lot of chemicals that alter our body's hormones that our ancestors were never exposed to. And the, the fragrances are rife with these. The fragrances, I'd be really careful. With. If you're not sure what chemicals to go for, just go fragrance-free. That's the safe option for laundry detergent, for soaps, even for shampoo and things like that. Some of that stuff goes through your skin. You know, your skin absorbs a lot of these chemicals, just like hormone creams. Well, listen, so I went to a party at a friend's house. And I haven't told her this yet because I didn't want to tell her at the middle of the party. And then I never forgot to tell her, but I'm going to. I'm going to share this podcast with her. Mm -hmm. And I literally had to go outside because she had these trash bags oh, that were yeah. ultra scented. Mm -hmm. I don't and, you know, they were, there was a big party, everyone. So she just kept taking all these scented trash bags and putting them in. And I'm like, I barely could even breathe. But here's the thing, like, when we talk about these are synthetic chemicals mm -hmm. in fragrances, like you just said, they're petroleum-based. They're so harmful to your health. They have um, phthalates, yeah. And phthalates, yeah. I, I always think about it because I always have to say like it's with a pH, you know. But exactly. Like, you know, the like you said, the phthalates are endocrine disruptors, and they are carcinogens and. The whole yeah. thing is, is that like people are wondering why, I mean, there's guys out there right now where their testosterone mm -hmm. is like a hundred, you know, no. you're, no. and don't you think that some of this stuff, a combination of all this stuff with the, all these fragrances, it's affecting people's men and women's and, um, testosterone and all of the hormones. Yeah. Oh Yeah and progesterone and all of that oh yeah i mean if you search dr anthony j and the word hormones or testosterone you'll find like dozens of videos that i've done with different people 
Um, Mike Munson and I did a video. We had over 500,000 views just talking about testosterone, how it's declining through our population from these chemicals. And, you know, breast cancer is another good example. I'm glad you brought up the carcinogenic aspects, the cancer-causing aspects, because in since 1980, I'm sorry, I've got like this weird fly, like one fly in the whole room here, he seems to be like going after me. But since since 1980, breast cancer has increased 250%. And all we're doing is passing out pink ribbons, like we're raising awareness that breast cancer exists, but nobody's saying like, hey, this is why it exists. It's because of these fragrance chemicals, these synthetic chemicals, not essential oils, right? Like not natural stuff that our ancestors had for thousands of years. It's totally synthetic stuff. And these, you know, like all the soy and all this other stuff, like the atrazine and the artificial red dye, that messes with your hormones, right? There's a lot of these things. So the plastics, right? They're everywhere. Um, and if it was just one of these things, it would be pretty easy. But since there's so many of them, sorry, I dropped something. Since there are so many of them, it's it's altering pretty much everybody's being exposed, right? It's There's nobody that's completely removed from this situation. Like when researchers do studies on this, they have to go to like remote tribes in Alaska to find people that don't have phthalates in their blood to try and compare them to other people that do have phthalates to try and see what the, the health harms are. So it's complicated. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the population of how many people also have thyroid issues mm -hmm. you know, that have hypothyroidism and thyroid issues, I think, again, don't you think it's not only affecting your hormones, but also affecting your thyroid? Have you seen yeah, that? for sure. In fact, just to circle back to intermittent fasting, um, intermittent fasting, as you know, increases a process called autophagy. And autophagy is a technical scientific term, but it refers to your cells taking out the trash, right? Your cells are taking out garbage. They build up garbage. They got to take out the trash. And your th there's a gene called FOXE1, F-O-X-E-1, but scientists call it FOXE1, like Foxy Lady, you know that song? So Foxy one was discovered in Chernobyl, the radiation accident. And people that were exposed to atomic bomb radiation and damaged their thyroid, which is pretty much a lot of people. And if they never recovered, they found they had this bad version of this Foxy one gene. And the people that recovered up just fine had the good version of this gene. So there was a difference genetically in people that recovered and people that couldn't recover. And they found out with later research that it was an autophagy gene, meaning it's involved in your thyroid taking out the trash. Like the cells in your thyroid were not very good at taking out trash. Therefore, you were more susceptible to damage from radiation. But also you're more susceptible to damage if you're not intermittent fasting. So people that intermittent fast that have that bad gene for their thyroid, they improve their thyroid. I know it's kind of complicated because, you know, you have to kind of look at an individual person and say like, do you have these bad thyroid genes? It's a higher need for intermittent fasting if you do, because again, your thyroid builds up garbage, you know, garbage builds up in all of your cells to some degree, but fasting helps clear that garbage. And remember garbage inside your body, that's plastic chemicals, right? That's microplastics. That's personal care fragrances. That's atrazine. That's artificial red dye. That's the smells and stuff you're breathing in your lungs that disperse in your blood. That's all just garbage your body has to deal with. And another little side note is sunshine helps you break down trash in your system. A lot of people don't talk about that because sunshine has kind of been demonized in our culture as something bad. Use sunscreen, never go outside. You know, and in reality, our ancestors were outside all the time. And sunshine helps you break garbage down too. If you have like a tattoo and you go out in the sun, the tattoo fades away. 
your body thinks that's garbage inside your cells and the sunshine is helping you break that down into smaller pieces and clear it out of your system. That's a good thing that happens with these microplastics and the other things that your body builds up. So you want to use all the tools that you have today, like the sauna, the sweating, like you were talking about stretching and just staying active, moving a lot, sunshine, intermittent fasting. Use all the tools because you're going to be exposed. Even if you're really hypochondriac about this stuff, you're going to have some exposures to plastics and fragrances. So the best you can do is try and minimize that stuff, but also use the sunshine, use the intermittent fasting, use all the tools. So give us a couple of examples that maybe you've gotten rid of, you know, like mm. when, if you went to someone's house, like if you were going to say, all right, let's first all the fragrances, you're not wearing any of them. We're throwing them in the trash. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, these scented garbage bags, they're out of here. What else are you taking out that you go, this is completely off limits if you want to protect your hormones and get rid of these endocrine disruptors? Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, and it's been a lot of years of me doing this. So I have a website called ajconsultingcompany.com that I was telling you about earlier. I have a page on there. It's called what I use. It's like, it's a terrible website name. It's not memorable at all, but I just, over the years I've built on that webpage to show people like, here's the soap that I use. Here's the shampoo that I use. And I don't have any companies or any affiliation with any of these companies. I just, it's just like, look, I do a lot of research on this area and I have some general guidelines, whether it's water filters or whether it's shampoos or soaps or laundry detergents. I've even done YouTube videos on laundry detergents, things like that. Um, so it's a lot, but again, if, if people are buying a shampoo and one says fragrance free and one says it's got a bunch of cherry blossom flavor or whatever, or cherry blossom scent, well, go with the fragrance free because, you know, you know, that's going to be good. You know, they're not going to sneak anything into that unless you trust the company. Lean I mean, what, about, what about, what about toothpaste? What about mm -hmm. making sure you're having like that hello fluoride free, mm -hmm. making sure all of your toothpaste is fluoride free? Yeah, dude. Well, it's ironic because I did a YouTube video on fluoride like 10 years ago um, just because I was interested in it and I was researching it and I was trying to figure out if, uh, you know, with my kids, should I have fluoride in my toothpaste? And I did a video showing, hey, this isn't really good for your brain. It's not necessary for your teeth because you get a little bit of fluoride in your diet. So it's natural. If you're eating healthy, you get plenty. Um so I removed fluoride from my my toothpaste and my kids' toothpaste. I've never had a cavity in my entire life. I haven't used fluoride in 10 years. My kids don't have cavities. You know what I mean? Like, in fact, the only kid I have that has cavities is my oldest one where we used to eat sugar and stuff back when she was little and we weren't that healthy. It's it's diet, you know? Um, but yeah, it's it's at least with fluoride, you spit out the toothpaste, right? So there's at least a chance, but some of these things like drinking water, if you're storing it in plastic and the plastic's sitting around a long time and the water's in that plastic jar a long time, you're drinking a bunch of these chemicals. It's totally unnecessary. Use stainless steel, use glass, right? Um, ceramics are a good option. Silicone is a good option. Some people do sous vide cooking where they put meat in a plastic bag and then they boil it. And that's crazy. Like you want to use a silicone bag, that's totally fine. But the research is very clear. Like if you're doing that with plastic, it's going to just load you up with phthalates, you know? So there's a lot of little micro things like that, like the K cups for coffee. I'm not a huge fan. Again, once in a while, sure, you're traveling, no big deal. If you're doing it every day, switch over to something that's glass and stainless and not full of plastics. You know, it's a lot of hot water running through plastics. What about the K cups that have the bottom 
like mm-hmm. if it's organic, but you know That's how good. some of the K cups have the bottom that it's like a maybe a mesh and some of a fiber. I know to that as well. No, those are much better. Everything is a step in the right direction if you're moving away from plastics, right? For our environment, for our oceans, and for our health, most importantly. I do cold press coffee. I just grind coffee beans. I put it in a, a big glass jar. I leave it overnight at room temp. And then I filter out the the grinds. And then I keep that in the fridge, but I don't like cold coffee. So I put a little bit in a cup, cut it with water because it's really concentrated, microwave it. And then I've got hot coffee if I want coffee. But, you know, I'm not opposed to like different types of, you know, a pour over coffees and things like that too. But Again, there's a lot, right? And that's why I made this webpage because, you know, you can really get into it deep. And and I won't even remember off the top of my head, like some of the stuff that I go through on that webpage, like pillowcases and things like polyester, polyester clothing is plastic, right? It's called poly, the full name for polyester is polyethylene terra phthalate. Hint, hint, it has the word phthalate right in the name. You know what I mean? And so a lot of people are literally sleeping on a pillowcase for eight hours a night, just breathing in phthalates all night. And they've even done scientific studies on this, believe it or not. Because of course, that common sense is like, well, if we're sitting, if we're breathing our hot air on a pillowcase for eight hours, we're going to have a lot of phthalate exposure. But when they do studies, they even caution that like babies shouldn't be on mattresses that are made straight from plastic and all this stuff. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of good cautionary research, but people kind of ignore it. And the government ignores it because it's not really toxic. Like it doesn't kill you right away. It takes a lot of years to cause problems. So it doesn't alarm people as much as some other things. And But it messes up your hormones. And that's enough said, right? Because if you mess up your hormones, it's hard to lose weight. It's hard to have energy. It's hard to function. Your brain has fog, right? Like if your hormones are off, everything's off. So it's not just about killing cells. It's also about energy and hormones. Yes. Yeah, so let's talk about as far as any fragrances that you would use. Would it be essential oils only? Like, is there any other thing that you would consider using? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess if I'm looking at artificial fragrances, two things. Number one, there's a website that's pretty good. It's called ewg.org. It was created by Mark Hyman, I think, out of the Cleveland Clinic. He's he's the one that started the functional medical wing of the Cleveland Clinic. But EWG.org is a pretty good database of chemicals and what they do to your health. And you can compare and contrast. Um, There are some synthetic chemicals that are totally fine. I I usually look for the the letters P-H-E-N, which is phene. Like if it's like benzophenone or alkaphenone or whatever, P-H-E-N, that's usually an estrogenic chemical. If it's got that... In the word, if it's some kind of synthetic fragrance and it's got P-H-E-N, it's probably some kind of synthetic estrogen chemical. And then the word benz, like benzophenone or alkyl benzone, B-E-N-Z. If it's hidden in one of those words with these long chemistry names, you know, that you can't pronounce, like I said, methylbenzaldine camphor. That's in sunscreen oftentimes. That benz, usually that means it's a chemical that's going to act like estrogen. So I, I look for phene and benz. And again, I know that's kind of complicated and technical, but... I write about this in my book too, to kind of help people simplify it, but, but essential oils are good. You know, like that's the long and short of that's it. If you're using those. I, can I can't, I can't do anything else. Mm-hmm. There's no other fragrance I can do. Mm-hmm. I want you to talk a little bit more about testosterone for just a second. So mm-hmm. 
Um, I just know a lot of people who their testosterone, men and women, that their testosterone is really low. What are some things that you recommend doing and not doing that can increase the testosterone levels? Yeah, it's a good question. Number one, intermittent fasting, right? Because if you help your body clear out garbage and help your body heal, it raises people's testosterone. Number two, blood sugar. When your blood sugar is above 85 chronically, if your fasted blood glucose is above 85, not 100, not 95, 85, you want your blood sugar pretty low um, when you're waking up in the morning, that helps your hormones, especially your testosterone. I've seen a lot of people massively improve their testosterone by getting their blood sugar down to where it should be. And that's an optimal number. That's not just okay, that's optimal. So blood sugar is big magnesium is big zinc is big like sometimes people are mineral deficient because they don't eat a lot of minerals or our soil is depleted in minerals which is becoming a bigger problem because the farmers they don't put magnesium back in the soil they don't put zinc back on the soil they just put nitrogen 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 and after 50 years of just putting nitrogen back in the soil as fertilizer and phosphorus the zinc and the magnesium and the boron and a lot of these minerals have just gone down and down and it's becoming a bigger problem and even regular scientists are raising flags and talking about this more because there's so many more deficiencies on minerals and those lower testosterone. And so that's probably number three, number f so that's uh, intermittent fasting, blood sugar, minerals like magnesium, zinc, and boron. Uh, number four is of course artificial estrogens. You could have put that as number one because it's probably the biggest factor i've had even people like i had a i was on a podcast in the uk with a guy from london and he he's like look i'm gonna check my testosterone tomorrow and he did and then he said i'm gonna remove all the plastics and all the fragrances and then check it again in six weeks and he raised his testosterone 30 percent just in six weeks and he posted this online and he was a believer just that one change he did absolutely nothing else with his diet or his minerals or his whatever so Estrogens are huge. These fake estrogen chemicals, of course, they lower your testosterone, right? Um, they've done studies with atrazine, for example, this this herbicide I was talking about, where they uh, they put uh, frogs in atrazine. They use 300 nanograms per deciliter of atrazine, and you can turn a male frog female. You know, like literally it changes their sex, just being exposed to atrazine. And the legal allowable drinking limit for atrazine in America is 3,000 nanograms per deciliter. So it turns a frog female at 300, and we're allowed to have 3,000 in our drinking water, right? It's a problem. So getting rid of these chemicals, like filtering your water, not storing any plastic, not using the fragrances that are full of this nonsense, you know, being real cautious, that helps your testosterone, men and women. And exercise of course you know like a lot of basic things that people know just generally improving your health improves your hormones right that's kind of the basic rule <laughs> you guys if you've been listening to my podcast you know i've been talking about masszymes which is a digestive enzyme from bioptimizers and i want you to know that here's the thing for me having a digestive enzyme is a game changer because one of the biggest things that happens to me is I get really tired after my meal if I don't do it, and I have a problem with nutrient absorption. So if you could be eating the cleanest diet ever, but if you're not absorbing it, that's an issue. So this month, they're doing a really great special, and you're going to get a free bottle of the digestive enzymes from my optimizers 
And so all you have to do is pay a nominal shipping fee. That's it. No other strings attached. It's the best thing ever. So get your free bottle of digestive enzymes. It's called Masszymes. Go to masszymes.com slash wasteaway free and use the coupon code wasteaway10. That's it. So masszymes.com slash wasteaway free. Use the coupon wasteaway10. It's awesome. Yeah, so let's talk about getting rid of plastics for just a second, because I would say the biggest one that I'm a culprit of is bottled water, mm-hmm. because um, you like even like I love Fiji water, which is in plastic. Um, mm-hmm. What would you say, like, if you were, because you also want to have clean water, and unfortunately, if you're out and about you know, getting clean water, the the chance of you getting it in a bottle, it's harder. It's not impossible, um, Mm -hmm. but harder. So talk about the plastics. I love that example that you gave with the surveying your food, because I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking that we've done that before. Um, That's a good one. So give us some more examples of different things that people may not think about that they're using these plastics and some changes that they can do. Instead of this, do this. Right. Well, I like to use activated charcoal filters. So like even at the airport, I'll bring an empty stainless steel bottle. I'll go through the security. And then almost every airport now at the drinking fountain, they'll have those little side things. You put your water bottle in. Those have activated charcoal. Those are good water filters. And of course, I have one of those at my house. Um, I use reverse osmosis to get everything out of there, and then I remineralize it. And the one that I use is all stainless steel. There's no plastic tub underneath your sink or anything. It's all stainless steel and has a pump built into it. So it's I have to install it myself because none of the plumbers are even familiar with the one that I use. But but um, you could probably find a plumber that'd be willing to do it. I just it's not that hard. But um, but yeah, I mean, I keep stainless steel bottles in my vehicles that are filled up because I have a lot of kids and they're always thirsty whenever we get in the car all of a sudden and then they got to go pee 10, 10 minutes later. So it's always a thing. But yeah, let me think. Um, you know, people ask about Tupperware. If it's dry food, like if it's basically like meat or a sandwich or something in a plastic container, not a big deal. There's not a lot of leaching that goes on between like a piece of bread and a plastic. If you have a piece of bread sitting in plastic, there's no leaching going on. If you have a liquid sitting in plastic, there's a lot of leaching that goes on, especially if the liquid is hot. So there's more leaching, right? The more you heat things up, the more you speed up molecular movement. Alcohol really increases leaching. Don't buy alcohol in plastic. It's a terrible idea. I can't even believe it's illegal that they sell vodka and stuff in plastic containers. It's horrendous because it increases leaching. It basically like melts the plastic into the alcohol, especially high concentration like vodka or something like that. Um, let's see what else. I mean, like we talked about, what would you do if you were out and about and you were wanting to get water and you didn't have your plastic container, would it be anything that you would suggest that you would do? No, I mean, I just try and be prepared, but yeah, eventually you're going to have to get plastic bottles once in a while. It's not a big deal. The good news is if you have good intermittent fasting habits and good autophagy, remember that helps your body clear out out trash. You're going to get some trash in your system. That's inevitable. Um, in our culture and my testosterone 750 and the average American right now is like 300, you know, and like you said, you sat finding men like at 100 a lot of times and they're teenagers, which is really sad because they don't even know what it feels like to have amazing testosterone. It's unbelievable. And women too, a lot of, especially menopause, it, t- it tends to tank women's testosterone 
And by the way, if if you can't get it up naturally, I want to make sure to mention, if people struggle to get their testosterone, if they've done everything right and their testosterone is still suppressed and still too low, men or women, don't be afraid to do the cream. Like the hormone cream is totally fine. Natural bioavailable testosterone. Don't get some synthetic fake version of it, but get actual bioavailable stuff. It rescues your health in a lot of situations. Again, work with your doctor on that. You need a prescription for it, but it's it's a lifesaver. I've had so many people that tell me that. Um, you know, again, ideally you do it naturally and and you don't have to obsess over this stuff. Like I said, I'll drink out of a plastic bottle once a month. So you know, what I try and do if I'm like at a, a grocery store or something and I need some liquid, I mean, I'll just get San Pellegrino in glass jars or whatever. You know, I'm kind of obsessive about this, but... I also do like green tea, you know, like in a glass jar if I'm, you know, out traveling. And a lot of the cold pressed coffees, even at the grocery store, will be in glass jars. So there's ways if you're really paying attention. So the problem is people don't generally pay attention, right? They're not even looking, they're not even thinking about it. Um, so once you start paying attention, you'll realize like, oh yeah, there's a lot of plastic everywhere and it is a little tricky to find the alternatives. And sometimes you can't and that's okay. So let's talk about that what you just mentioned about the testosterone therapy. And so you've, we, let's say someone has done all these tips that you just talked about to try to increase their testosterone naturally. And they've decided, listen, my testosterone's still too low. Let me decide. So they have the pellets and then they have the cream. Talk about which one you would do and why. Yep. The pellets the doctors like to promote those generally because they make more money on them. I hate to say it, but usually that's what's going on. No real problem with them, but the cream is better in my opinion. Now, everybody has their own opinion, but I've looked at a lot of the research. Um, you can do the cream every day. You get out of the shower, you rub a little on your leg, you wash your hands with soap, you get it off your hands so you're not spreading it on other people. Easy, no needles, no going in and getting pellets. problem with pellets is it's kind of like this up and down roller coaster where it kind of keeps it at a level and then it kind of drops and drops and drops and then you got to get it back. And then, and again, it's just more, more sites for infection and more patented artificial synthetic materials and just nonsense. Um, so that, that's what I recommend for men and for women usually. Um, but it depends on the situation. And again, it depends on genes. You know, if people want to look at their genes, that's what I do, right? Like take the 23 and me test, you spit in the tube, look at your genes because Sometimes people have terrible genes for heavy metals and their body doesn't clear heavy metals and they got cobalt and chromium and cadmium and all kinds of heavy metals built up in their system. And that screws up your hormones. And it's not plastics in that case, it's their heavy metals genes. And then we got to do hair testing for heavy metals and figure that out and, you know, identify it, get them out of their system. And then boom, their hormones are amazing. They're recovered and they're not spending like a hundred dollars a month on hormone cream or whatever. So like, I always advocate people look at their genetics. That's why I do what I do because if you don't know the genes, you're just kind of guessing. It's like the diet, right? Like some people, they can't do dairy. Some people can't. How do you know which ones are which? Well, some people drink milk and it hurts their stomach. That's kind of a dead giveaway. But, you know, like the genes give you a good idea of how severe your dairy sensitivity or not, you know, would be. And that's true of a lot of different aspects. So anything that triggers inflammation is going to generally mess with your hormones and the DNA does a good job of kind of enlightening us what might trigger inflammation also. Mm. Yeah, I I feel like with the testosterone pellets to me I think that number one like you said there's infection in the insertion site that can be a problem. 
the pellets can get dislodged and, you know, come out of your skin, you know, doing the wrong movement. And I feel like my biggest problem with it is the incorrect dosage. So like they're just guessing what the dosage is. So if you're doing a cream, if I'm putting on a cream each day, then I can go, okay, like this is too much. Let me change it. Let me do this. For the pellets, it's like for three months, mm -hmm. you're stuck with this dosage and it's like a nightmare to try to get it removed. And, you know, it's, you know, it's put underneath like your hips or your butt. And it, to me, I wouldn't want that. Like I use, I do use bioidentical hormones, but I just do it in a cream and I yep. can increase or I can, you know, decrease depending. Yep. Perfect. Exactly. And post-menopause, I'm a huge fan because everybody's estrogen and progesterone go down after menopause, right? Like you're never going to have perfect optimal sleep if your progesterone is tanked and you're, you know, you're going to be waking up at three in the morning. You can't get back to sleep. You know, that's like all marked low progesterone. And there's no like, oh, eat this and your progesterone will be rescued. It's like, no, it's just menopause. Um, and there's a big difference between being okay and being optimal, you know, and I like people, I like people to optimize their health, not just be okay. You don't want to be an average American anymore, you know, in terms of health, because average Americans are very unhealthy and the doctors see average Americans all day long and they think that's totally normal. You don't want to normalize your health against average Americans, but even the blood tests in our modern culture, they're based on average Americans. The blood sugar is disaster. Like the range is disaster. It's a joke. The cholesterol range is a joke. The vitamin D range is a joke. The testosterone, the progesterone, all these hormone ranges are a joke. I mean, it's almost laughable if you look at the research and then you look at what the doctors tell you is normal. It's not, it, it doesn't coincide. Even ferritin, you know, like when people have hemochromatosis and issues with iron and there's so many problems with our medical system. And I think a lot of it just goes down to the money and following that. But you can do a lot to just protect your own health. And again, I like that you're doing bioavailable hormones. I think that's super smart. I'd like the creams. I even like the creams better than the pills, right? A lot of women take progesterone pills. The problem with that is it's kind of hard on your liver and kidneys. And then 20 years later, you're, you've got liver damage or something. And then they're trying to deal with that. And it's like, well, just use the cream. And then you wouldn't have had that problem. Yeah, so good. Let's talk about iron for just a second. One of the things that's really odd is that in the questions I'm getting from listeners that, you know, they come on and ask for different questions. And it seems like we have a whole slew of people who need to increase their iron. They're mm -hmm. struggling with low ferritin mm -hmm. for a lot of women. And then guys, it seems like they're really struggling with high ferritin mm -hmm. and their iron is too much and they need to like give blood and so forth. So talk about what someone needs to do if they want to increase their iron and what someone needs to do if they're struggling with high ferritin and mm -hmm. need to kind of decrease. Yeah, for sure. So first of all, I like people's ferritin between between 50 and 100, which is a pretty tight range. If you go to Google and you type in the normal range for ferritin, it's usually like 30 to 300, which is ridiculous, right? Like I was saying, these ranges are a joke. I mean, that's a tenfold range. That's adding a zero. Mine's at 15, just so you know. Mine's super low. Yeah. Mine's like so, so low. Mm -hmm. And the only way that I've been able to increase it is by taking copper. That's the oh, only yeah. thing I've been able to do that is actually increased. But you keep going. Go ahead. Well, a couple of things. Number one, you know, one of the reasons you intermittent fast, and a lot of people do and a lot of people should, is because it helps heal your gut, right? 
And if you have gut issues, then your body doesn't absorb nutrients the way you should. So even if you're getting ferritin or iron in your diet and copper and all this, your gut's not absorbing it as well as it should. So sometimes it's an underlying gut issue that people have. Yeah, <laughs> Uh, that's pretty common. So fixing that is always the first thing. And then hopefully it falls into line after that. But then number two, women have a period and then they donating blood every month, most of their life. And then their ferritin tends to be way too low. And then after menopause, of course, it starts to go up and up and up. And it depends on your genes because some people have low iron genes, some people have high iron genes, and it's a struggle on either side of that equation. But for men, they don't have a period, of course, despite what the woke people try and tell you. And so there's, there's usually higher iron in men because it, it, it just builds up and up and up. And the only way your body gets rid of ferritin is um, bleeding, like like blood, like donating blood, or skin shedding, which is crazy slow. It's a slow process. So if you're a man, of course, it's just going to tend to build up more in your system if you're not donating blood or bleeding very often, unless you never eat red meat or something. And red meat helps raise ferritin. I'm not opposed to eating a lot of red meat raising your ferritin that's the most natural way to do it it's very healing for your gut because your body's made of red meat you know so i know a lot of people are pushing vegan diets and all this sort of thing and again some people you got to look at the genes right everybody's different but red meat is the best bioavailable source in fact if you really want the best source is liver that's what your ancestors did for thousands of years they ate liver it's full of iron if you eat too much liver your ferritin even in your case where it's too low it'll probably get too high after a while if you're doing it too often and i like liver pate you make liver pate with bacon and you run it through a food processor it tastes like bacon spread right it doesn't even taste like liver so that is good <laughs> and i just did a podcast i think it's two podcasts before and he talked about Paul Saladino talked about taking liver, mm-hmm. buying it, mm-hmm. cutting it up into little strips. So people like me, I, I'm just not a liver fan. It's yeah. going to be World War II to try to get me to eat it. So I'm just like, let's just take that off the table. Mm-hmm. He's like, make it into little tiny strips where you can literally take it, freeze it in the freezer, and then just swallow it with water. Mm-hmm. and try it so i'm yeah. going i haven't done it yet i need yeah. to put that in my repertoire to do but have you tried that or do i don't like it? it i i'm a, it's funny because i homeschool my kids and stuff and uh we hunt a lot and we travel around the country all the time and i hunt in different states and we like in minnesota where i where i grew up you can shoot unlimited deer you can shoot 100 deer if you want i i I'll shoot quite a few. And because they're so overpopulated in certain areas, you can donate them to food kitchens and stuff, which I do, like soup kitchens. But also I eat a lot of them. And my kids like venison liver more than beef liver. Like they have an opinion on which livers they they eat. It's kind of funny. So we we just eat it. But um, but I've been on Paul Saladino's podcast before. I'm friends with Paul. Um, and again, he's I think he sells a product called Heart and Soil, where he actually sells pills too. And so there's a lot of different ways for different people, but that's the best approach, right? Because plants have some iron, but it's usually wrapped up in fiber and stuff and you just poop it out, frankly. Like it's in there, but your body doesn't absorb it because you're just coming, it's coming in one end and going out the other. Whereas when you eat animal products like liver uh, or red meat or, you know, things like that, that have ferritin, but they're from animals, your body absorbs all that ferritin. So it's really helpful, especially if you're that low. Because that's low energy, low ferritin, low energy. You know when it's that low. So let's talk about your gut and kind of the things like if 
a lot of the listeners listening to here, they are saying they aren't able to absorb the nutrients that they need to and their gut is a mess. Mm-hmm. What would be kind of your top three things that someone could do to help heal their gut? Um, boy, it's so dependent on genes. It's it's hard to pick it out, right? Because some people, it's it's literally just dairy. It's literally as simple as dairy. And they're eating cheese every day. And they know that drinking milk hurts their stomach. And they know that's bad because they feel bloated and gassy. But then they keep eating cheese because they can get away with it. But they don't realize, like, even the cheese, even things that are low lactose, dairy proteins will be bad for your gut if you're severely dairy sensitive. If you're a little dairy sensitive, it's not too bad. But if you're severely dairy sensitive, get rid of all the dairy. That mess, messes up people's gut when they have those genes. And again, I'm not talking to everybody here. I'm just talking to people with those issues because it's a life changer. It changes your hormones. It changes your inflammation levels. Just getting off of whey protein, uh, sour cream, cheese, yogurt, all of it. Every bit of it. I if you that's so, so after Paul Saladino was on our my podcast, I you know, he's a big fan of raw milk. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? Because I don't do well with dairy. And anytime I've done a food sensitivity, it always says cow milk that I'm, mm. you know, don't do well with cow milk. But I thought, you know what? I'm going to try it anyway. I'm going to try some raw milk. And I did it for two weeks. And honestly, I was miserable. Like, mm-hmm. so I got so constipated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just was my, it didn't work well for me. So again. Sounds like you. you. Yeah, you fit yeah. the dairy sensitivity bill. Yeah, for sure. So I, I want you to talk about talk about that even more, what you're seeing, kind of the things, the top things that people remove and they go or or add in that makes a big difference. Yeah, well, I had a strong a strong man competitor once as a DNA client. I do a lot of pro athletes and a lot of special forces and a lot of elite people, right, because they want to optimize their health. And one of my clients, when I was doing a genetic consult, was a strongman competitor who counts his calories religiously, huge guy, very competitive, very famous. And he uh, had the terrible dairy genes, sounds like similar to you, where he couldn't even drink. He knew like drinking milk was bad. He, He even knew cheese was bad. He wasn't even doing cheese, but he was still doing whey protein. That was the one dairy product he was doing. And I told him, look, you've got multiple bad genes for dairy it's on the far end of the spectrum you got to just cut out the whey protein and so he started doing less calories per day and less protein per day and he literally gained muscle mass and he thought he had plateaued for years and years he thought he was as big as he could get and he was trying to gain muscle mass i mean he was eating tons of calories and um the the inflammation from the dairy was suppressing his muscle development because his body was in a bit of a flight or fight state just from the whey protein so it be really extreme if you have the, that disposition towards dairy. Number two, gluten, right? Very common to have gluten or lectin sensitivities. Lectins, gluten is one of the lectins. It's not the only lectin, but lectins are plant toxins that plants make to protect themselves from being eaten. And it is pretty common to have either gluten or lectin sensitivities on your people's genetics. It's definitely not everybody, but there's a lot of people that shouldn't do grains because grains have a lot of lectins. It's not just gluten. It's just grains across the board. They're notorious for messing with people's gut. Like if you have IBS, everybody knows like, yeah, you can't eat grains. You can eat white rice. That's about it. Um, that's like the only grain because white rice grows in knee-deep water. The plant doesn't have to make a bunch of toxins to protect itself from being eaten. But almost every other grain like oatmeal and, and all this other stuff, they're full of lectins. So that's another one that's really common, unfortunately, and it's so common in our foods and the sensitivity 
to that in people's gut is very common. Um, number three, in terms of avoidance, hmm. Um, I don't know, honestly. I mean, maybe nightshades are number three. There are a lot of people that have nightshade issues like tomatoes and peppers and things, but it's it's one of those that I wouldn't just generally recommend people avoid just to avoid again like you want to know your genetics instead of just guessing and eliminating everything i see some rare genes sometimes where people can save themselves a lot of headache by just looking at the genes and then they don't have to do all these excessive elimination diets but sometimes oxalates are pretty bad for people like spinach spinach has 755 milligrams of oxalates per half a cup i mean that's like three horse pills of oxalates and oxalates look like little glass shards it's like basically eating pieces of glass you know cut spinach completely out of my diet i won't mm -hmm. i don't not eating it at all mm -hmm. yeah that's pretty common too so we could probably talk about 10 or 15 things but again it's all guessing until you really dig into the genetics in my opinion but um but some people again it's something completely unrelated like it's just a vitamin deficiency like vitamin d if you have low vitamin D, that exacerbates gut issues. It basically makes your gut more fragile. So then even if you're eating really healthy, your gut's just so much more sensitive. And even 10 meals a day or something crazy like that, where you're just pounding food all the time throughout the day, that stresses out your gut. Even if it's the healthiest diet imaginable, the more meals you have, the more stress you have on your gut lining. Sometimes you can't handle it for that reason. So there's a lot of like nuance in that area. And most doctors don't acknowledge the nuance because they're just trained to look at C-reactive protein, which is a blood test for inflammation. And if you if you have good CRP, they say you don't have inflammation, which is not correct. But that's what they do. That's kind of how they oversimplify it in the medical, in the modern medical system is like, for example, CRP, most people haven't heard of it, but it's a blood test they do to look at inflammation. And if your CRP is high, you do have high inflammation, right? There's no question. Like if you smoke cigarettes all the time, you're going to have high CRP. If you have a lot of inflammation in your body, you're going to have high CRP. But sometimes you can have a lot of inflammation in your body and your CRP is low because there's other things that trigger inflammation besides just CRP. There's like a thousand things. There's interleukins and interferons and TNF-alpha. There's all these different things that can trigger inflammation. And doctors only check CRP and then they say, oh, look, CRP looks good. So therefore you don't have inflammation. And that's that's a really bad, um, you know, like that's a, a bad extrapolation. So people can have a lot of inflammation without having high CRP. And it's hard to figure that out sometimes. And sometimes it's a rare gene or sometimes it's a lifestyle thing that they're doing and they thought was healthy and it's actually not healthy. So it's a complicated question. So I've got a question from Melissa, but it's so long and I'm not going to read the whole thing. But basically she says, you know, there's so many diets out there, the Whole30, Keto, Vegan, flexitarian, carnivore, you know, don't eat lectin lectins, don't eat that. And she's like, you know, what is, what am I supposed to eat? Like, it's just like, you know, you listen to this podcast and it says, don't do this. Then you listen to this podcast and it says this. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously what they need to do is they need to get a, a DNA yeah, test uh, with you to see what works for them. But if you had to kind of say, Overall, if I took a hundred people, if they ate like this, the majority of people are able to handle this, 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 and this. And a lot of people can't do this, 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 and this. What would that be? Well, processed food, first of all, take that off the table, right? Everybody does poorly with processed food. It's garbage. It wasn't in our 
in our ancestral heritage, you know, it's designed to trick your brain, process sugar, all that stuff. So minimize that as much as get intermittent fasting. Also, everybody should be doing it. Almost everybody. I mean, a hundred out of a hundred people, I mean, 99.99% of people should be intermittent fasting. Um, especially as you get older, remember for kids, their metabolism is super high. Kids can, kids should eat breakfast. You know, they should eat breakfast. Their metabolism is so much higher. It's different. But after puberty, people should be intermittent fasting. Uh, grains are the most notorious. I would say if you're going to cut one thing just as a pure guess and you're not looking at your genes, I would suggest just cut grains. I mean, they're just tough on the gut lining. They have a lot of pesticides and herbicides, even molds. You know, a lot of them have molds and they don't acknowledge this in America. But Europe has much stricter regulations on mold levels, like mold toxin levels. There's aflatoxin and ochratoxin and xerolenone. There's all these mold toxins. And the government in America is like, oh, it's okay if you have pretty high levels. In Europe, they're like, no way. Even the animal feed, like the horse feed in, in Europe has stricter regulations on mold toxins than they have in America. I wrote about this in my book. So I would just say grains, you know, that's probably the big one. It usually helps people and even it's not going to hurt you, you know. But I recommend all kinds of weird diets depending on people's genes. So it is pretty diverse. So what would you say, like, you know, Siete has really become big with mm -hmm. the grain-free chips that they have and all of that. Even though that is processed, will you kind of have some of the grain-free chips that they oh, yeah. do? Stuff like I that. do, yeah. Give us some of your, like, things that you go, okay, if I want, obviously I'm going to try to eat as much whole, you know, whole fruits and vegetables as possible. But if I want something that's kind of a cheat but not really a cheat... Cheat foods. I mean, I try and minimize them, but I do that. I ironically, I do those exact chips, the Siete chips, sometimes. Um, again, I, I mean, the seed oils. I forgot to mention earlier, and I should have mentioned for sure avoid seed oils. Unfortunately, they're very bad for people, you know, and they they don't get enough credit for how bad they are because a lot of the doctors in America and a lot of the scientists are kind of on board with them because they lower cholesterol or whatever the thing is, but they're bad for you in a lot of different ways. They have lectins, they're oxidized, they have a lot of damaging components. Um, I like the fruit oils, olive oil, avocado oil, coconut oil. Those are fruits. I like animal fats too, butter and lard and stuff. If you have good dairy genes and different things, but yeah, if you can just fit the parameters where it's not a bunch of processed sugar, it's not a bunch of grains. I'm okay with most anything out there. As long as it's, you know, as long as, uh, it's not like hyper palatable and triggering your brain to just eat like a whole bag of potato chips or something like that. Like there's plenty of good stuff and it's, it's good to enjoy yourself and have that stuff. I try and limit it to like once a day, I don't do that stuff at lunchtime. I just push it only at dinner time and things like that. So have some rules like that that maybe help, but it depends on people's personality too. Some people will need to go lower carb than other people based on their addiction to sugar or their history of sugar or things like that too. I love it. Well, we are out of time, but tell listeners where they can find you and where they can follow you. Yeah, I I do have a YouTube channel, Dr. Anthony J. And then I have, uh, that's the last name is J-A-Y. And then I have ajconsultingcompany.com. Those are the two major sources. <laughs> well, this has been amazing. Thank you for your time today. And you guys stay tuned. We've got another episode coming up in just a few. Bye-bye for now. 
Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.